0: Hey, good morning, happy Father's Day, welcome back, or good to see you again from last week, whichever it is, thanks for joining us online. Uh, Hey, so last week we started talking about this new series we're in called Best Summer Ever. It's Not really starting that way, is it? But the thing is, the reason that really matters is because it really wasn't the best summer ever, the best year ever, the best two years ever for Paul. He was living in a really bad situation. He was in jail. His dream, his vision, his goal in life was eventually to go to Rome and be a preacher. And instead, he went to Rome as a prisoner. He was locked down. He was locked up. He was literally quarantined. He was under house arrest for two years in this city where he wanted to go and influence the city and instead, and influence lots of cities. And instead, thanks. And instead, he was um, locked up in a house with a guard. And a lot of people were concerned. One, because they thought Paul might soon lose his life, and he did. But for two years, he was locked down, and they were concerned about that. And the reason we're calling this the best summer ever, oh, go back. The reason we're calling it the best summer ever is you really could have the best summer ever, your days could be the best days ever, you could live best life ever, even if things around you aren't going well, because they weren't for Paul. Yet his faith thrived. The mission thrived of the, that he was on to tell the world about Jesus. He was not held back even though a lot of people thought he was. You really could have the best summer ever, ever and it's less about what happens to you but how we respond the way Paul did. And last week we talked about this verse, Philippians 1.6. Paul was confident. This is one of the reasons he wasn't worried about being locked up. He was confident that what God started in the Philippian church and in him and in you and me, God will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He believed that he could trust God to finish what he started. Paul wasn't responsible for that. God was. In the life of the Philippians, this church, he started 10 years earlier as he writes this letter to them called Philippians. He says, look, I'm confident that even though I'm locked up, God's going to finish what he started in you just like he's going to do that in me. Nobody or no thing can keep that from happening. But it does require, we talked about this last week, our participation. He said in the previous verse, right before that in verse 5, I know this because I've seen it in you. I've seen the progress. And I've seen that God is working in this process. Well, right after that, as he talks about this good work that God's going to do, he prays for them. And he says, and this is my prayer for the Philippians, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. In these two verses, or three verses, he, he gives a prayer. He says, this is how I'm praying for you. And it's great because if you ever had somebody who says, hey, I'll pray for you. Anyone, raise your hand in person or at home if you've ever had someone do that. Yeah, most of us have. Hey, I'll pray for you. But a lot of times, we don't know how they're praying for us. Paul says, Hey, the Philippian church, I'm praying for you. I'm really going to do it, and this is how I'm praying for you. And this is one of the reasons what he's doing right here is the reason that being locked up did not stop him from participating with God with what he was doing in the world. Prayer is a form of influence. When you pray for others, you're influencing them. Better than that, you're asking God to influence them. And often the best way to influence others is to pray for them. Paul could pray for them anytime, anywhere, locked up, free, long distance. There's no long distance charges for praying far away. And he did. Not only did he say, I'm praying for you, and nothing will stop me from doing that, but here's how I'm praying for you. Let me just tell you that you have influence this week in the way you pray how you pray for others. You have influence. Follow his example. So think about right now, who are the people you could be praying for this week? You might want to jot their names down. You might want to stop right now and actually pray for them. But it's not just who are you praying for, but what are you praying for them about? And Paul gives us some insight here on how not just to pray for others, but how to do something even more as a means of influence. But don't overlook the fact that your prayers for others is influence. And Paul's influence was not locked up. He could pray. He did pray. And this is how he prayed. And how he prayed is very practical and timely for us. And one of the things about this prayer is this prayer is a clue to what he just previously wrote. He said, God will do a good work in you. This is a clue to what the good work God is doing in you looks like. And he says, and this is my prayer. And then he kind of listed out. And this is, this is how he prayed. That your love may abound more and more. That's what God's good work looks like in you. God's love in you and through you will abound. It will overflow more and more. Again, Philippians 1.6, he started a good work. This is what it looks like. And it's a process. A process means more and more each and every day, each and every season of life, you will grow more and more to be someone who loves others well. That's what God's process looks like. That's what his progress looks like, abounding more and more. That's the process and product of this good work he's doing. And God has promised that he's committed to finishing that good work in you because it's not just about you. When God transforms your life and you abound in love more and more, God's good work in you is not just about you. It's about others who are loved by the love of God expressed through you. And again, it's a more and more process. Do you want to know if God's working in your life? Do you want to know if you're participating in the process? Well, ask this question. Are you growing more and more in loving others. That's part of the fruit, the evidence of that. The challenge for us is when we hear the word love, it's a frequently used word that's often misunderstood or it has a lot of different meanings. So it's not dispri- surprising that the word love is kind of limiting. The New Testament is written in Greek. We speak English. And so when you read the word love in English, there's several different words it could be in Greek. Some of you know this, but some of you don't. One of the best explanations I ever heard about it was a book by C.S. Lewis called The Four Loves. And he talks about these four expressions of love that show up in the world and in the Bible and why this is so confusing, uh, confusing for us. Because when we say the word love, when we say I love something, it can mean a lot of different things. I mean, I love God, I love my wife, I love my kids. I love Jimmy Buffett, I love James Bond, I love movies, I love hockey, I love Texas Tech, I love Captain Crunch, I love manners, so bless you. Always a tough time to be a sneezer, isn't it? I'm so sorry. Man, I am so sorry for you right now. That is a tough thing. I love salad. I actually love lying about loving salad. I really don't love salad. I love eating things that had parents. I love steak. (laughs) I love Captain Crunch. I love lamp. I love long walks on the beach. I love the beach. I love palm trees. I mean, love can mean all these different things. I love all these different things. But the word love on each of those means something different. How I love God, my love for my family, my love for Jimmy Buffett, they're all very different things. And so the Bible uses these four words, and C.S. Lewis says, there's really a problem with us fully understanding what it means that God would abound, or his love would abound in us more and more because we're so confused on that. So it can mean one of four different things. One word is this word storgi or astorgis, which means affection. I love Captain Crunch. I love movies. Hey, I really like that guy. That's that's one word. word. Another Greek word is the word eros, which is romantic or erotic love. Then there's the word phileo, which means friendship or brotherly love. That word is used 25 times in the New Testament. That's really a way that we are—we do love each other. We love each other with a brotherly love. But then C.S. Lewis writes this when he talks about this fourth word, which he calls charity, but, but it really means something kind of more. And he says, William Morris, I don't think that's the tobacco giant, William Morris wrote, no, oh, it's Philip Morris, right? That's probably not important right now. William Morris, the poet, wrote a poem called Love is Enough poem called Love is Enough. And someone has said to review it briefly in the words, no, it isn't. <laughs> Such has been the burden of this book because the natural loves, those first three words, affection, romance, and friendship, aren't enough. There's something more that God has for us that really is, comes from him, it's experienced from him uniquely, and it changes the way, and it's what this word is right here, love that he wants to abound more and more. And it's the word agape, or agapeo, which means to love, unconditional. Unconditional love. It's an others-focused love. But even then, that could be phileo. It's an others-focused love that is divinely inspired. We receive the love from God. He empowers that love in us. And we express it to others in a way only he can. It's used 253 times in the New Testament. In Greek literature, uh, including, like, it was used actually a few times by Homer, not Simpson, but the Greek literature guy. I don't know what his title is. Um, He used it a few times, but but even then, love was reshaped in the New Testament. In in, In the history of language, poetry, literature of love, Jesus reshaped, redefined and reimagined and empowered what it would look like for us to love others. It's God's love for us. It's God's love for Jesus. It's it's our love for each other. And the secret to that kind of love is it's not about what I get, it's rather about what I give. And when we think of love, we often default to the emotion. I love that. But it's not a feeling. It is a God-empowered expression. Jesus has modeled that for us. He leads us to that more and more, and this is what he wants for us. And then Paul gets real specific about how you figure out what that kind of love is. He says that you may abound more and more in in love, love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best. Here's the thing you need to know about agape love, God-empowered love. The loving thing is not always the obvious thing. If God wants to express, you, you say, I want to kind of really express God's love to somebody else. I want God to love others through me. At some point, that's a great thought, but we step into the equation and go, I'm going to figure out what that looks like. What if you push pause and said, if God wants to love others through me, I'm going to assume I don't know what that means. I'm not going to lower it to my standard. Instead, I'm going to open it up for God to define, this is what love looks like right here. And it's not always the obvious thing. It requires knowledge, which means information. How do I best love this person? It requires depth of insight. It's not going to be a shallow or casual fact. So they may be able to discern. That word discern means to figure out. It means to prove something to be true. It means to examine something. And it could be that the way God wants to love somebody else and love the world through you is not the obvious thing. That it requires you to push pause and examine it and ask God to give you new knowledge and insight of what it looks like. Because remember, love focuses on the other and it requires knowledge and depth of insight and discernment. And when I pray, that's a form of influence. But one of the things I need to be praying is God, show me what it looks like to love others, especially if it's not the obvious thing. Love is focused on the other. And a lot of times, we enter into conversations with each other. And our confidence comes from, I know what I'm talking about. But a love that has knowledge and depth of insight and discernment will focus on God first and then the other. And it's not, I know what I'm talking about. It's, I know what you're talking about. I know your needs. I know what God wants me to do in your life. Imagine how different our world would be right now if instead of talking and posting and commenting, we paused and assumed that the obvious thing or the loving thing isn't always the obvious thing. And the best thing to do is to pause and to listen to God and to listen to others and to say not, I know what I'm talking about, but I want to understand what you're talking about. How different would our world be? That was God's design long ago that our love would abound more and more and it's focused on insight and knowledge and discernment because it's not always obvious because we're feelings-driven people. We're self-driven people. But when you're a follower of Jesus, you're a Christ-led, spirit-driven person. And love expressed is more about the need of the other than the intent of the giver. Let me say that again. Love is is more about the need of the other than the intent of the giver. You may be giving with great intent to say, I want to express love to this person. But God says, would you let me empower and define what love looks like in this moment? It's more about the need of the other that sometimes is not obvious but it is best demonstrated by Jesus and empowered by Jesus and love and it looks a lot uh, of, of like loving others looks a lot like the way Jesus loves us and loves others he says if you want your love to grow it'll grow in knowledge and insight and understanding and discernment then he goes on to say this praise this way that he's praying that it will grow more and more, and it may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness. Now, that doesn't describe me on my own. (laughs) I'm full of a lot of things, but I'm not filled with the fruit of righteousness. Take that however you want. So, I, I know this week I'm not pure, and I'm not blameless. I'm not filled with the fruit of righteousness, unless God does it. And this is the great news of the good news. That it's less about what I produce in my life. And it's more about dying to self and letting God be the one that does that in me and through me. That is the good work that I cannot do on my own. And it comes from this. It comes through Jesus Christ. It's him. If I had to try to get there any other way, I won't get there. Understand this. To be the most loving person you could possibly be, you cannot get there on your own. You you, you could do loving things. You can do those other expressions of love, and you can really aspire to love that way, but ultimately, if we don't have the purity of Jesus, the blamelessness of Jesus, the fruit of righteousness of Jesus... Our love is limited. But God says, I want it to abound more and more to be more like me. And it's not so that you get the credit. Look how well that person loves. It's that all glory and praise goes to God, that he gets the credit. It comes from Jesus, and that's the good work he's doing in you. Jesus said it this way in John 13. He said, a new command I give you. Love one another. That wasn't a new command. That had been kind of there for a long time. They knew that. But what was new is the way he wanted us to love others. As I, Jesus, have loved you, so you must love one another. When we love people the way Jesus did, it means sometimes we're praying for and forgiving our enemies. It means we're loving and listening and, and, and extending grace to people who we might not on the surface feel like they deserve it. It means we're loving in a way that's beyond what we can normally do on ourselves. It's sacrificial, it's forgiving, it's others-focused. And quite honestly, it costs a lot. But that's the way Jesus loves us. And he says that's the standard for how you're going to love others. And if you just try to do it on your own, You might become more and more loving, but you won't abound with the love that is the kind of love that only God can give. And then he says this, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. The way we love each other gives all the credit to God and it shows that we're one of his kids. It shows that we're in his family. Blaine Bartel wrote, writes this, this quote. I love this. The gospel is a love story, not a belief story. The historical church of more recent days has amply proven that the world doesn't care what we believe. They are waiting and wondering how will we love. That's the starting point for reaching others. And the thing is, that's what Jesus said. That's how they're going to know if you're a disciple. It's not what you believe, it's how you love. Because what you believe should change you from the inside out to look a lot less like you and a lot more like Jesus in the way you love others. What if this is what we were known for? What if when people thought church, Christian, Live Oak, Doug, your name, they thought, man, they know how to love others well. In a way that just makes me curious. Spiritually curious. In a way that makes me feel like I'm accepted and I'm loved. What if this is what we were known for? It should be and it can be. Jesus said, by this all men will know if you're my disciples. And I think that was less about helping the disciples know that they're good. But more about the world knowing God. Love is critical. And so Paul prays for his friends this way. Prayer is, is a tool of influence you have this week. I encourage you to use it. Who will you pray for and how will you pray for them? And that also is a form of love, not just leadership and influence. And as you pray, would you let God love others the way it's described here, that you would turn Paul's prayer for them, that you would be an answer to that prayer, that this kind of love would show up in your life and be expressed in the life of others. Jesus loved others enough to lay down his life for them, to forgive his enemies, to sometimes tell hard truth, but do it in a loving way to go the extra mile. Would you let that kind of love show up in your life? Pray for others this week. And be the answer to Paul's prayer for the Philippians and for you, that we would love others well. We live in a world that can't define love. And Jesus came as the definition of love. This is what love looks like. And Jesus will empower and equip you and love others through you if you will let him. That's the good work that God's doing in each and every one of us. Hey, next week we're going to be back and we're going to continue in this series. We'll be online and in person. And if by Thursday, if we kind of feel like we have enough room to spread out on one service, we might default to the 930 again. The reason we do 9.30 and not 11 is that way we can replay it live at 11 or replay it online at 11. Um, but we, either way, we'll be online and in person next week unless something dramatic happens and we can't do that. But please RSVP, it helps us prepare with volunteers and also know how much room we need to do a service. Um, if someone tries to sell you a ticket, um, I just want to curious what rate you're getting because like, who would pay for that? But, but um, no, they're free. It just helps us plan and prepare. You do that on the app or the website. So next week, we're online and in person. Please RSVP as soon as possible. The other thing, the next week, July 4th weekend, we're going to do online worship only as we try to prepare for the next phase, whenever that is, as soon as possible. And so we're going that's our lowest attended service of the year. So it will be online only July 5th at nine thirty and 11. It'll be on Facebook or on live oakorg and then on person, on, online and in-person services will resume the next week, July 12th. Make sense? Awesome, let me pray for us. God, thanks that you have defined what love is, that the, we really are limited, not just in our English language, but in our human capability of loving others well. Our best efforts really are just human efforts, and what we need and what our world needs is something, needs something so much more. We need the love of Jesus that is pure, that it's full of righteousness, that it's full of grace and forgiveness, that it's a life-changing kind of love. And God, I pray you would change us from the inside out, and your good work would show up as we love more and more, and our love looks more and more like you. God, some of that starts with us understanding how deeply we're loved by you. And if that's our stumbling point, help us to come under uh, the, the awareness of how deep and wide and and how great is the love of God for us. God, if our stepping point, our stumbling point is is trying to express that to others, especially particular people, God, help us move past that. We've never locked eyes with someone who does not deeply matter to you, so help us to love others the way you love others. God, thanks for your commitment to your good work. Help us to participate this week through praying for others and loving others well. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.